and welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast, your weekly roundup of reviews of all the latest comic releases and also all of the news going on for the store Coffee and Heroes in Smithfield, Belfast. So your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of the aforementioned Coffee and Heroes. Uh, I am joined today, uh, once again, it's just a dynamic duo, I'm going to have to think of a new term for dynamic duo. What, what, what sort of Marvel one could we have there, Mr. Miller? What would be a, a good twosome Captain America and Bucky? Power Man and Iron Fist. Power Man and Iron Fist. I mean, which one? Which way around's that? I mean, clearly, given your you know fighting background, I'd like to think you're probably Iron Fist in this case. I would say so. If you're happy to be Power Man, Luke Cage, I'm uh, I'm happy to be Danny Rand. I don't quite have the the muscles upon muscles of Luke Cage. You know, I will take it as a compliment either way. But well, how are you keeping yourself? All good? Yeah, great. Can't complain. Can't complain. A lovely weekend. Um, Got out for a run, uh, which was nice. I watched. I tried to watch uh, Jiu-Jitsu on uh, Netflix because mm-hmm. Frank Grillo, who plays uh, Crossbones in the Captain America movies, was in it, and uh, Tony Yan, a few other uh, martial artists. And I thought this looks good. Nicholas Cage is in it as well. Um, <laughs> I didn't get as far as to see in more than a second shot of Nicholas Cage because the movie was woeful. It oh was, dear! It was just I watched about seven minutes and went nope. And uh, got round then to watching the 2012 uh, remake of Total Recall, which uh, with Colin Farrell, which was not as bad as I was expecting. That was actually quite enjoyable. Uh, some real good concepts and ideas. I mean, the, the remake nearly brought it closer to Blade Runner, and obviously it's by the same writer. The concept, you know, um, mm-hmm. so certainly and uh, aesthetically anyway. So I quite enjoyed that. Um, I'm flat out. Got myself addicted to Horizon Zero Dawn on the PlayStation. Uh, just a great, great, great game, great story, a lot of, a lot of variety in it, um, and uh, the story sort of uncovered itself. Uh, but uh, Brona came back up last night after uh, just over two weeks, so uh, that'll be the end of the PlayStation for a wee while. <laughs> <laughs> you mean she doesn't want to sit and watch you explore the world of Horizon Zero Dawn for uh, a couple hours a night now? Yeah, yeah, understandably, um, understandably, and it's funny because whenever she was away, every time we went to turn on a, a movie, um, I was like, no, I think Bruno would probably want to watch that. So, looking forward to watching that Sound of Metal mm-hmm. uh, on, um, I think it's on Prime, Amazon Prime about the, uh, the the metal music drummer who gets tinnitus and starts to. And I mean, that's quite close to the area in which I work with our musicians here in health scheme and stuff. So. That's an important one, I think. Um, but I watched also the first three or four episodes of the remake of Kung Fu, uh, the, the old David Carradine series, uh, originally conceived by Bruce Lee. And uh, it's on the CW, it's a wee bit young adulty, but quite, quite enjoyed it. Quite enjoyed it, quite enjoyed the story that they're telling. Um, definitely a good one for... Uh, for Asian representation and media, which is something we'll be discussing a wee bit later on, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I quite enjoyed that as well. And I've uh, I've started watching Arrested Development finally. Oh, that's uh, a show. That's a that show. is really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. So that's a show what that stands yourself? up. That's a show that stands up to repeat viewing. I will Ooh. tell you know. I mean, it's I think it's five seasons long now, but the first three is like the golden era, and then it was. It was one of those shows that always won tons of awards and was always critically acclaimed but didn't have the audience. And then it was one of the first shows that Netflix were able to flex their muscles with and say, we'll bring this back and give the fans what they want. Mm-hmm. And the fourth season's weird because they couldn't get the cast to 
all appear at the same time. So it's a bit of a fractured season. Although season right. five makes up a wee bit for it. But but uh, yeah, no, we're all good. We're finishing off Punisher. We jumped back into it. We're determined to finish off the, the Marvel Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. We've just the end of Punisher to watch. And then Jessica season three. We had a fast food of a movie last night. We sat and watched Terminator Dark Fate, which was right. the most recent Terminator movie, which was surprisingly enjoyable. A bit right. too CGI for my liking. I love uh-huh. that Cameron was always very, you know, lots of prosthetics and lots of sort of real stunts and stuff. And I think sometimes you're a little jaded these days. You can tell when a, a car is flipped in a special effecty way rather than a, yes, a real maybe. car flipped on a motorway. But it was a, actually a pretty decent movie. Arnie's uh, participation it was interesting. It was good to have Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connors. So a lot of good Most ideas. Give it a wee watch. Most give it a wee watch. I did watch the first episode of Jupiter's Legacy mm-hmm. on Netflix. I uh, don't know if you're there yet, are you? No, we haven't started just yet, unfortunately. Uh, Any good? Very, very enjoyable. Yeah, very enjoyable. Good cast. Um, yeah, solid, solidly, solidly adapted from the comic, from what I remember, and the first of the the Miller World TV series to come on the Netflix. So. A good sign for what's to come, and we we spoke a wee bit about uh, the magic order mm-hmm. uh, on our last episode. So yeah, uh, yeah, had a nice a nice chilled out, relaxing weekend, a few beers, and uh, and a wee uh, uh, a wee chilled out uh, sort of a weekend, and you know in front of the the, the games machine and the TV, and uh, and also got out for a run. So can't complain. I like how you were like back to being an adult there at the end, you know, focusing on fitness and stuff after the the beer, TV, movies, and computer games. <laughs> to weekend. be fair, it was <laughs> it was a wee bit of a, a miserable weekend when it came to weather. Yeah, um, I couldn't even drag myself out of the house. It was so wet on Saturday to get down to the shop, uh, <laughs> and it's only around the corner. Um, so uh, that was just a horrible weather-wise weekend. So, uh, but. Well, we missed you. There. We missed you. We know you'll be back in tomorrow anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Big day. Can't wait. Absolutely. And tons of great stuff coming out this week, but also tons of great stuff to talk about for this week. So, reviews wise, once we get on to the titles, it's going to be looking at releases from the 5th of May. We usually go around sort of the, the comics and movie and TV industry, but there wasn't an awful lot to actually look at this week. The only couple of things that caught our eye, first of all, is uh, regarding the upcoming X-Men event, Hellfire Gala. So Marvel announced today that world-famous celebrities and athletes are going to appear. So Hellfire Gala, from what I can gather, is it all takes place at one event on one night. And each title is going to basically showcase that event from the different angles of those characters. And they announced essentially that there's going to be, quote, celebrities at the gala. Now, rumoured attendees include Eminem, Conan O'Brien, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe. They're footballers, by the way, Keith. Uh, Ara Glass, Pete Alonso and more. And what apparently they're going to be doing is having different world-renowned musicians, writers, actors, other icons, etc. in the background of every single issue. So it almost becomes a bit of a, uh, a where's Wally, if you will. But a lot of this is going to depend on how good the artists are in these titles because they're going to have to look like these celebrities unless they just, of course, cut and paste a wee photo in the background, which would be kind of funny. But uh, <laughs> what's, what's your what's your uh, take on this? Do you like that they're trying to maybe bring in a, a broader audience to something like this? Or are you one of those comic purists that says, leave my make-believe worlds alone with these real people? No, not at all, not at all. I mean, that's that's the thing about, about Marvel relative to, to DC is that the Marvel universe is a variation on the real world the you know the majority of the action takes place in real world new york city and and in the the, the marvel 616 version of that so, whereas you know 
DC went down the way of, of using analogs, you know, Gotham and Metropolis and, and such. So, so in doing that, they have sort of opened themselves to, to, to that opportunity to, to be able to do that. And it wouldn't be the first time that, that they've done stuff like that over the years. You know, occasionally back in the day, artists just to include uh, celebrities in the background and, and different places and, uh, you know, and, um, Famously in uh, the Marvel Universe, Stan Lee portrayed a version of Hugh Hefner and and all of that sort of stuff, you know, in the in the cinematic stuff. So, I, you know, I think it, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's the first time that we've ever seen them advertise it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, I I think it's I think it's interesting. And actually, as we get closer to the Hellfire Gala, I'm kind of excited. <laughs> I'm getting kind of excited about it. Um, I know that uh, Marvel Unlimited subscribers, uh, you know, the the digital offering mm-hmm. uh, in, in America are being sent uh, Hellfire Gala invitations by mail, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, so the marketing department have jumped on that. Um, mm-hmm. I was listening to, was it Creator Talks with Jerry Dugan? Uh, and uh, Jerry Dugan is the, he's the guy who, obviously he's the, I think, I think Hellfire Gala has very much spun out of Marauders. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were to choose one of the the, the AX books that it's spun out of, Marauders is very much behind it, and Jerry Duggan is is the uh, the architect behind the whole. It's not an event. Uh, it's it's the Hellfire Gala is an event, but with regard to the way they've structured it, it's more of a sort of a crossover or a through thread um, that they've done, and, and various writers have decided to jump on. And whenever Jerry Duggan has reached out to them, because I mean, I think Benjamin Percy, for example, he says he reached out and Benjamin Percy was like, I can't I can't see how X-Force with what's going on and X-Force could be involved in this. And then suddenly he went to Jerry, who's doing security on the door? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> There's always a way. Yeah, so uh, so I'm really, yeah, I'm really psyched about this now, I have to say. And, uh, you know, it's not just celebrities from uh, the real world that will be attending. Uh, the likes of Doctor Doom will be attending and uh, and probably representatives from Wakanda and uh, and all of those sorts of things. So this will be. I'm really interested. I'm really interested. I'm. I'm not going out of my way to pick up books that I'm not reading on it. But whenever I look at the list, there's only there's only one that I'm not reading. So <laughs> you're pretty well covered then. Yeah, and I'm told that if you're going to pick up one book uh, for the the Hellfire Gala. Pick up Planet Size X Men, which is a one shot uh, by Jerry Duggan. I, I think that will be the that will be the, the core of it, as it were. Yeah, and then art by Pepe Larraz on that one as oh, well. Yes, so absolutely. been mingling around the X universe uh, for the last couple of years there as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a, it's an intriguing sounding premise. So it is, you know, essentially the one night from all these different perspectives and so forth. So. They they don't make it easy on us per comic stores that I have to say with this because you never want to just. Like, say, for example, we have someone has a pull list and they have maybe six of these 12 titles. You don't want to just automatically throw in the other six to say, look, you kind of need to read these. It's all part of the same thing. But then at the same time, you don't want to not order enough in and then someone goes, oh, can I not get these? So it's it's never easy for comic stores, these kind of events, I, ha- I have to say. But House and Powers went down really well and so did X of Swords. So I would imagine we'll be ordering quite a few extras of, of most of these. So, And at the very least, I can put together 12-issue packs at the end of it if uh, and there's a, certain ones don't. In a lot of the Marvel comics this last couple of weeks, there's been um, a, a double-page spread that has all of the, you know, the, 
the books that are involved or crossing over into the Hellfire Gala there. I mean, it would be you could probably find a, a copy of that somewhere on, online we can yeah. print off and easy enough to keep track of. Yeah, and even sticking up as a poster in the shop or something. Unless I mean if they if they were thinking they would have sent you a poster. Really? Yeah. I mean we received some posters this week, but the nicest one that I actually kept for myself is I think it's a cover to Daredevil twenty nine and it's Electra in her Daredevil outfit sitting on top of a building looking out the skyline, the sun's coming up and there's a wee poster that floats about or sorry a news uh, article that floats about saying daredevil dead question mark in prison so it's oh. just a really nice poster and i have a whole pile of posters i'm actually just going to start throwing them in in the next week to people's uh purchases just throwing in random posters that kind of thing so <laughs> that's a nice surprise from your, your your local comic book store you don't get that in a big store yeah well we try our best to put out those little touches so so yeah so for anyone interested in uh, the hellfire gala it looks like it's going to kick off on the 2nd of june so i'm sure it'll be uh, upcoming reviews on this very podcast and we'll we'll certainly let you know our take on it. The only other thing that really stuck out this week, and not necessarily in a good way, is like a sore thumb. You might say a sore thumb. <laughs> a, a sore thumb would be actually preferable to watching this again. Uh-huh. Um, so they released the trailer for Venom: Let There Be Carnage, and I mean, I suppose up front, the first Venom movie. I always had trouble with it. I thought it, it had such a sporadic tone. It was humorous one moment, tried to be horror filled the next. And it was like an 85-minute movie. I remember walking out thinking, where's the rest of my movie? I even remember before we went to see it, there was uh, some, there was an interview with Tom Hardy where he said the best 30 minutes of the movie have been cut out. Now, if you're told that before you go to see a movie, that's not a good sign. But it was yeah. pa- it was passable enough. But, you know, I wasn't massively crying out for more personally. But this trailer then came up and... We were chatting a little bit beforehand, and Venom is going through one of the absolute best runs of the character's career. Donny Cates, Franz Stegman, he's been able to have been the cornerstone of large-scale Marvel events that have been popular, and Absolute Carnage, and Keenan Black. And then you have this trailer with a symbiote making breakfast, Freddie Brock, and you're thinking, what is this crap? Uh, I'd say all this, of course, and I'll probably still be there opening weekends, because, you know, I'm a glutton for comic punishment but what was your take on it what do you think i well i, I mean i sort of agree with your your take there on uh, on venom the original i mean i just it's you, you you can't do this anymore you can't take a, a a great character and make a mediocre movie because the bar's been raised too high yeah that's you know it. so so I mean that that movie, as you say, I say whenever you say the tone was sporadic, it was a mess. It was a mess. It was a, a Spider-Man three level mess tonally. Um, you know, it just couldn't keep itself straight. Any horror that there was in there had the the edge totally ripped off it because of the the, the badly placed slapstick humor. Um, you know, and the even Venom's voice is just stupid. Um, so it was yeah, and I totally you know you've got all this great you've got all this great. Uh, source material and just not really using too much of it uh, it was just there was so much more could have been done so much more could have been done and uh, i mean again that's it, that whole sony issue you know I, I, yeah i don't know why they they just don't what they're trying to do they're trying to they, if they want to make a family movie they've picked the wrong character to do it with um you know that sort of way so yeah <laughs> Same applies to to the, the sequel. Uh, let there let there be carnage. You know they're taking another 
murderous horror character spawned by Venom in the comics. I don't know if they've got the right actor playing him in the right way, playing Keith Cletus Cassidy in the right way. Um, the, the the trailer starts with Venom making Eddie breakfast, you know, in a real slaps, oh, yeah, slapstick way. way. And, and uh, I just, uh, yeah. No, and even, so even the trailer, they've had cap, they've, They've got these slapstick moments at either end, you know, with Venom making breakfast and then Venom threatening to kill Mrs. E- Mrs. Chen. Because she doesn't have the right chocolate. Because she doesn't have the right chocolate. Yeah. But in the middle, they have what looks like, you know, the, the origin of Cletus Cassidy and, and something that's a wee bit more horror-y, thriller-y, adventure-y, you know. And that, I was sort of looking at that going, oh, that, that would be interesting if there was a tone about it that, you know, so if, if the trailer, you know, which is slapstick with some horror and thriller in the middle, is indicating anything, it's that it's going to be the same tone as, or the same massive tones that the first one was. And if that's the case, you know, I know you're saying about going to the cinema to see it, but I'm not willing to vote with my with my ten pounds and mm-hmm. say make another one of these because. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> you never know; it might surprise us all. I mean. The yeah. one really, the one part of the trailer that I did pop for a little bit was seeing the Ravencroft gates, because yes. that's something we haven't seen before. And but yeah, it almost seems like I think Sony have this contractual arrangement where they have to make a a movie within the, the quote Spider Man universe Spider-verse, once yeah. every two years, or else the rights lapse and go back to Marvel. So, you know, they, they they've proven they can do it brilliantly. Edge of Spider Verse is a perfect example, but then you have Venom at the other uh, end of the scale, but. The, the worst thing about it is the first movie made a ton of money. The first movie made like 900 million. So they think they're doing something right. Whereas us comic readers are just like, look, this is a really interesting character and you're just not treating it well. But And I mean, that is not the, is not the, the thing. You know, we all, we all went and spent our money on the first one, not knowing what to expect, but hoping for the best. Um, yeah. I mean, have they changed the team, the writing team or the directing team? Or the anything, director's or the different. It's an interesting director. It's actually Andy Serkis. Gollum himself oh, is directing wow, it. okay. And right. I don't really know if he's an accomplished director or not. Maybe it might be my ignorance. I haven't seen anything else that he directed. But, you know, he's obviously the greatest motion capture actor in the history of the game and, and a very accomplished actor in his own right. He'll actually be playing Alfred in the upcoming The Batman, uh, the, the, ah. the Pattinson movie. So... You know, and he was brilliant as uh, Claw, uh, Ulysses Claw yes, in Black Panther. Indeed, yeah. So, uh-huh. I don't know. You never know. Maybe we're maybe they're just lowering our expectations. And then they're going to blow us away. Who knows? But I can't even believe that. Just saying it. You know, <laughs> can't even <laughs> yeah. convince myself. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I would, I would, I would say this will be a TV watch for me. Um, I have to say. Well, if anyone is interested in it, it will be out. I believe in September of this year. So. Yeah, that is Venom. Let there be carnage. The trailers. So, uh, seek it out for yourself and let us know your thoughts. What about the shop this week? Are things? Yeah, really, really good. Again, really nice and busy. Really good weekend. Uh, we normally find with Saturdays it tails off about two o'clock and then it's quiet from two to five. But Saturday was busy all week this week. Uh, my delivery arrived at one minute past ten on Monday morning, which was absolutely glorious. Uh, pull lists were complete by Monday night. It was just such a pleasure today. I had so much that I got done that I normally wouldn't on a Tuesday. So uh, yeah, Diamond, please please keep sending it on a Monday. 
please, please, please. Let's get going. There were a couple of things missing. Of course, it's always the good news and the bad news, but nothing major. Just a couple of a couple of titles here and there, but still tons of good stuff. So uh, we'll have that all on sale this Wednesday, the twelfth of May, and it's actually already uploaded to the website. All of the new releases. That was the the other thing I had time to do on a Tuesday, which was great. So Brilliant. and you you mentioned that uh, you uh, you part you, you you've got the next YouTube ready to go. The next YouTube absolutely show yes. Yeah, so the. The key here with reopening is that, you know, we, we obviously had a lot of time to do a lot of stuff when we were closed. Uh, we obviously spent a couple of days a week on the road or we did a lot of deliveries or a lot of postal service, that kind of thing. Made changes in the store, but we still had a lot of free time. And now with the store being open again six days a week, we just have to be a little smarter with it. So although Keith and I are recording this on a Tuesday night, normally we're, we're going to be doing our best to do it on a Monday. Just had a family birthday this week, my dad's birthday last night, so... Had to obviously go and do my, you know, child responsibility of going to see the folks on the birthday. So it'll hopefully be. <laughs> you're a son. You're not a child. Uh, I don't know. You called me a kid earlier, so. Um... <laughs> to be fair, I was using a specific quote. <laughs> <laughs> that you were a Star Wars one, no less. But yeah, so we're, as much as possible, we're going to be trying to get into routine, and that's the key here when when we're so busy during the day. So hopefully, it'll be a case of record podcast Monday, record YouTube in the store on a Tuesday, which is what i've done this week and hopefully that'll be up live around the same time as the pod so you know just again going through the pull list for the week and bits and pieces of news and all the rest but but yeah we're gonna we're gonna focus more on the pod now and we're gonna focus on our pull lists from the 5th of may so as ever we like to have a look and break down our pull lists and it was so neck and neck this week and in fact i only nipped ahead of you because of an omnibus yes uh so i had 22 titles this week a scandalously low three DC titles. I am disgusted with myself. <laughs> uh, four Marvel and of course fourteen indie, and then yeah, I had one omnibus, which again was a Marvel one. The all new Wolverine omnibus by Tom Taylor came out this week. Uh, I may have sneaked it onto my list. It might actually be Vicky's, but I've sneaked it onto my list just to be ahead. Uh, that's a popular one. Very much so. We're down to our last two copies of that. We had quite a few of it on the pull list, so. I'm looking forward to tucking into that. I read the first six issues, the first trade, really enjoyed it, and I was going to collect it by trade, but then uh, we saw the omnibus coming, and I thought, I'm a little bit of a sucker for omnibuses these days, or on the buy. We still haven't decided what is correct there grammatically, so, but we'll we'll figure it out at some point. So yeah, 22 titles for me. What about yourself? Uh, 21 titles for me. Um, I should have bought something extra if you'd have told me. I would have. <laughs> uh, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. It's 21 titles. 3DC, and I believe the same 3DC. Yep. Uh, and uh, we'll be mentioning all of those uh, in, in just a moment. Uh, nine Marvel and nine Indy. No, uh, no omnibuses for me this week. You just can't. You just don't know what sounds right. Omnibuy sounds right to me. I think we should stick on Omnibuy. But you know, we need Roddy here to uh, to fix that for us. <laughs> so. Yeah, as as Keith said, the we're, we'll be jumping through the honorable mentions first. And although we only did have a couple of DC titles, they were all really, really good in their own ways. And uh, we're we're going to be nipping into spoiler territory as we get into our honorable mentions. Yeah, honorable mentions always carry minor spoilers, but if you do want to go in completely fresh, your best to to skip ahead. But obviously, when we come to picks of the week, that's when we do our deep dives and lots of spoilers with those books. So, yeah, with the honorable mentions, it's it's no surprise that you know a new James Tinian scripted Jorge Jimenez drawn Batman issue is on the honorable mentions because 
anytime a new issue of this is released, it being a monthly title now, it always makes it onto the list one way or another. And and again, the quality was really high. This was a unique issue of Batman as well, in that this is the biggest selling issue of Batman in something like five years. It's shipped over 200,000 units, which is massive for a comic. Batman usually levels out about 105 to 110,000. But they, they jumped in early with their solicitations for this and their advertising for it because I had a new character called Miracle Molly. And for a new character to be introduced, I thought it was actually a really class new character. Uh, so the issue kicked off uh, following 107 where Bruce is trying to go undercover uh, on uh, to try and find out a little bit more about the Unsanity Collective. And what's really, really interesting here is he's rumbled straight away. So he, he adopts the persona of Matches Malone, which was always his undercover go-to, little scar on the face, fake moustache, heavy coat, and he's actually outed in this straight away. They they know fine rightly. They actually think he's a cop, uh, some of the heavies, but then Miracle Molly uh, arrives and actually knows that he's Batman, which I found really interesting uh, for the character. But before you get to that, I should mention, did you notice the uh, little callback to Batman Forever by any chance? Um, uh, I haven't. It was one of the first books I read, Alan, so remind me. It's just a minor little thing. So Mayor Nakano is being interviewed and yes. someone asks a question and then someone says, Now, Dr. Meridian, do you believe that? So Nicole Kidman's character in Batman Forever was Chase <sighs> Meridian. Right, of course. Yes, you know what? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. That's fantastic. And she's never been in any DC continuity of any kind. So maybe a little nod for the fans there. But yeah, really, really strong kickoff with with that uh, mayoral address, and I love the imagery of Oracle watching it and noticing Scarecrow perched up, just overseeing it all. There's great horror feel to Batman at the moment, which mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying. Uh, but yeah, the 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 crux of the issue predominantly follows Batman or matches in this case, and Miracle Molly having quite an interesting conversation, while at the same time starting to show a little bit of an origin story for Peacekeeper One. Uh, who obviously had such a big role in the Magistrate in Future State, uh, Dark Detective, and Nick's Batman as well. The art is ridiculously on point at all times. I mean, Gotham just consistently looks like a neon-soaked nightmare in uh, in Jimenez's art. And yeah, just another really great issue, really good backup story as well. We're really enjoying the uh, the Ghostmaker stuff. Uh, I like that it has... Ghostmaker has like a snarky kit-like voice in his ear at all times. I thought that's the kind of thing you would certainly enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And just um, a lot of fun for a backup story, yeah? Yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, I, I thought this was a fantastic issue. Um, Miracle Molly was a lot more interesting than I was expecting, probably yeah. because as soon as um, speculators get involved, I automatically go, oh, you know, so I maybe had a wee bit of a... Uh, a, a turn in me and my mood uh, that way but yeah really interesting character much more interesting that and, and getting inside the unsanity collective uh was really interesting thought it was it was and then you know the the cover not necessarily telling the story is cool because we've got batman and miracle molly on the cover and batman's not in this at all mm-hmm. uh you know batman doesn't appear it's all that's all matches malone um Love the uh, the magistrate uh, sort of magistrate one or peacekeeper one origin as well as you say. <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree with anything you said there, Alan, at all. Uh, it was funny because whenever I'm reading my books, I'm always thinking in terms of of trying to um, cut out time later. So whenever I put my books 
you know, in a box after mm-hmm. I've finished reading them. I try and put them in the order that I've enjoyed them. So I'm prepared a wee bit more for the podcast and, and making some notes. And I read this one fairly early on. And very early on, it was right at the front. I was like, yep, Batman, Tinian, Jimenez. You know, that was that was great. But you see, as my reading went on, it dropped further and further down, mm-hmm. down to the back of the pile, which is why I realized that this was such a phenomenal week for quality. Yeah. Uh, I was like, how did Batman 108 get down there? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I then looked at everything in front of it and thought, oh, but that was really, really good, you know? So, yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, so Batman 108, uh, again, can recommend jumping on Tinian's run enough. I mean, with 106, the Infinite Frontier stuff, perfect jumping on point. You know, we, we, we've we made sure to order in plenty of Batman ever since Infinite Frontier started. So we've got the back issues of 106, 107, 108. And th- this could turn out to be a really class-defining run of Batman. Really, really digging it. I would say, though, this issue wasn't my favourite Batman issue of the week. And what was your favourite Batman issue of the week? Let's talk about that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to more Batman, uh, there was another issue of Swamp Thing this week as well. So Ram V, Mike Perkins, Mike Spicer on colors as well is always worth a mention for Swamp Thing as it's always a gorgeous looking book. This was a really, really solid issue as well of Swamp Thing. I mean, this is a series that, again, could turn out to be a bit of a defining run for this character, but... You know, I, I love the two Ivies in this issue. I thought it was really good, the sort of warring personalities of, you know, talking to Levi and talking to the Swamp Thing. I I always have time for an appearance by Alec Holland, which mm-hmm. is never a bad thing. That's going back to your New 52 stuff and, and previous to that as well. I mean, it's it's interesting. We, we obviously spoke with Ram a few weeks ago and uh really really interesting guy again you can obviously go back on the pod network and find it but this was the first one i read that i really felt the whole idea of how swamp thing is all about how horribly mankind has treated nature and nature fighting back that i I was maybe just from talking to ram and him pointing this out but it was really prevalent in my mind reading this issue Mm, yeah no I, i think you're right it's the first issue that we've spent in the green uh of this of this run so far and it's totally it's totally mesmerizing um it casts back to future state swamp thing which ram v wrote which sort of was the prelude to this Mm -hmm. uh or or yeah and uh you know in in that swamp thing had had built a a community literally built a community of of vegetative um i guess simulacrum of people and and you know it's each time he becomes more accustomed to putting himself together it, it says here you know whenever he's in the green and and this is where he's learning i think to uh to uh to build that i, I thought the first double page spread of the uh the brain scan the, the, MRI. the mri yeah, yeah. was was class you know and one minute it's his brain and the next it's a seedling or a, or a flower and the next it's a it's a moth you know and then it's it's it was so cool it was so cool yeah i really really i really enjoyed this i do have a couple of questions uh i'd, I'd love to know a wee bit more about uh the the widow was the big the big uh creature that yeah that um, was that was quite the splash page as well that art was fantastic yeah that was that was great and as you say the stuff with um the stuff stuff with alec holland which i'm i'm, I'm really interested in of course and the, the poison ivy stuff and i think 
I think you're right. It may seem a wee bit premature to say that, because we're only three issues in, to say that this is potentially one of those perfect runs. It's ten issues, and we're only three in. But, Jesus, the team are, are making their best efforts to make it that. They really are. Um, this could be one of the all-time the all-time greats, and it's definitely one of DC's, if not DC's, strongest book at the minute. You know, it's replaced uh, Hellblazer there. Uh, so if you're not on board this, it's only three issues in. You can probably get the first three. Uh, just don't 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 hesitate any longer. This is phenomenal. Yeah, don't sleep on it at all. And it's it's a title as well that is really fulfilling the potential of Infinite Frontier as well, which we'll talk about in the next title as well. See, for a while, the new 52 was just like, you know, the, the unwanted stepchild. It was like anything that was revealing back to previous stories was not involved in D- like DC Rebirth, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But because they've now made this omniverse and they've said, look, everything happened, you read Joker, there's the Court of Isles. You read Swamp Thing, there's Alec Collins. You read the next title, which is your favorite bat title of the week, which is? Yep which is the next Batman Second Son, issue two of four. And there's Batwing, which was a new 52 title as well. So they're really fulfilling the promise of this at the moment, and it's just great to see because now you're appealing to fans of the last 10 years, but also fans of the last 20 years of the past 30. I, I'm loving what DC are doing at the moment. I, I totally I totally agree. It's it's the thing that... It's the, one of the things that so strongly draws me to Marvel is that connected continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, shared shared universe that that uh, Stan created, um, and others obviously Stan and and Kirby and, and and all of those guys, you know. So so yeah, doing this and honouring allowing DC to honour stories of the past instead of cutting it off and almost being ashamed as yeah, you know as, as almost and, apologetic uh, or something. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, but then they, they made it fairly complex in themselves. But yeah, so next Batman Second Son number two. Uh, John Ridley um, on the uh, on the writing duties and travel foreman on pencils. This has been, I think, this is the strongest issue of Next Batman so far, and I that includes Future State. Mm-hmm. Um, it really focused on Jace and on that story, a little more of his mysterious background and where he's where he where he's gone and why he went. Um, you sort of you sort of feel like you've you know you you've walked in halfway through a party, but you're in the hands of a good host, so you don't have to worry mm-hmm. uh, that that uh, yeah, it all will be revealed. And I sort of just hope that another two issues, which is all we've got here in this in this four part story, is enough for John Ridley to resolve the story that he's setting up. Unless the idea is that he doesn't want to resolve it, and there's more to come. Yeah. Um, but this is yeah, really compelling. Some some great family drama. Uh, some great action. Uh, as as you say, Batwing comes comes out of the the woodwork and some great uh Rene montoya stuff and and police stuff as we you know we start to get into the anti-mask um registration that's going on um so yeah i, th- I thought this was this was great i don't know who Ratcatcher is i don't think it mattered that i didn't know who Ratcatcher is no um but there's some really fun stuff around that character though some good action yeah. and yeah yeah some good art was. there was and we yeah so it, there was a lot going on here and you know, it seems like Jace's wish to to make up for things that have happened before. I feel like it's 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 all going to come down on his head. But I'm really interested in how we go from Tim being 
Is it Tim as as Batwing? Mm-hmm. From Tim being Batwing to Jace being the next Batman. Just, I'm really interested to see where that's going to go. Uh, so yeah, really good stuff. Really good stuff so far. Enjoyed the first two issues of this, but uh, and and enjoyed future state enough. But definitely, I think this is stronger than I was expecting. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I I didn't even know if I was going to jump on it or not because there were so many titles and. Yep. I mean, we should really have faith in an Oscar-winning writer, you know, with John yeah. Ridley doing it. And the thing was, I always enjoyed the next Batman Future State stories. I don't think they were necessarily the best overall package because sometimes the, the backup stories weren't great, but I thought the main story was always strong. But it was just hard to sometimes justify that $8 price point when you were enjoying half the issue. And I think that worked against it a wee tiny bit. There was yeah, some good stuff yeah. in it as well, but just you go back to Detective Comics, for example, the backup stories, although, again, you are you have a soft spot for Grifter, so of course, but I thought the backup stories in Dark Detective were just so much better. So, so if, the, yeah. Yeah, before we move on, I mean, the, the art is, Travel Foreman's art is lovely, lovely and clean. Oh, uh, I really, knew that'd be your type uh, of art. Yeah, yeah, really, <laughs> really does well for the story, I think. Um, yeah, very, very good. Yeah, so obviously, again, we only had the three DC titles each this week, but again, very, very strong. So that's the the DC Honourable Mentions, and we'll move on to a bit of Marvel. So uh, when it comes to the Marvel stuff, there's a couple of titles that we've both read, but, you know, Keith is a little bit more ahead of me with a couple of titles here. But one that we both read, both enjoyed, and just as you were saying, the, the next Batman was the best issue of next Batman, this could possibly have been my favourite issue of Strange Academy so far. Interesting. The Day Trip to asgard is, is how you <laughs> basically sum it all up but you have that glorious cover you know you've got galactus's helmet is like the entrance they're going this bus ride down the rainbow road towards asgard and it just says in big letters field trip this is just a fun 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 series and this was yeah possibly my favorite issue so far yeah i i loved it i mean we're coming off the back of uh, the death and resurrection of Doyle Dormammu, uh, the, the son of Dormammu and and all of that stuff. So we come off the back of, of some fairly heavy stuff. And then uh, there's been a couple of, of these issues that have been uh, getting back, you know, doing the, the sports day and doing and doing the field trip. And, you know, Scotty, Scotty Young and Humberto Ramos and, and Edgar Delgado on, on Colours are doing a, they just did a phenomenal job of just of delivering this school trip to another realm. And, uh, you know, it picks up, uh, stuff from uh, Donny Cates' run with the, the the helmet, you know, Galactus's helmet being the the entrance to the Rainbow Bridge, and it's just all hijinks and adventure, and it's all heart. Yeah, you know, it it really is. And if you've enjoyed if you've enjoyed Strange Academy <laughs> up until now, you're gonna absolutely love everything that this this particular issue has to offer. Scotty Young is doing a a really good job at balancing. A fairly large ensemble cast. Yeah, but giving them all their moments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, for that, I think that this is proven to be Marvel's most consistent book, uh, you know, issue to issue. And and Humberto Ramos' art is just perfect for Scotty Young's writing. And in addition to, you know, presenting this sort of nearly one-shot story, it also forwards the, the overall story of the you know, of the Strange Academy and the overall arc, you know, in that, you know, we have uh, um, Emily and Dormammu's relationship advancing, which is key to this, uh, to, to the story that's been told. And and also we learn that uh, 
that uh, Ilric and uh, Eric and Alvi's uh, mother is none other than the Enchantress, uh, which is which is kind of cool, and also brings a wee bit of a light onto why Eric has been so keen to slag Dormammu, Doyle Dormammu off for his yeah. father being a supervillain whenever <laughs> their their mother is Enchantress, <laughs> who seems to have been an absentee mother. So, uh, so yeah, this is, uh, this is great. And it, it's just, all, it just has all the feels as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, such a, such a good, such a good book, Strange Academy. And lots of great little moments in it as well. I mean, I love how they capture the disappointment of the class when they all think they're going to meet Thor and then poor Volstag comes out. <laughs> He's like at your service and they're all just like not impressed at all. So he walks yeah. out just, you know, eating a big massive chicken drumstick. Yeah, I, I love the, the voluminous. <laughs> I love the fact that there's the whole, it's a really weird thing to say in a way, just with us being, you know, slightly older gentleman, but it's a book that makes you feel young again. It's like all yes. these teenagers getting together, you know, first love and, don't you say that bad thing about my girlfriend then fights start in asgard and you know so it moves the car it, it moves the story along really really well but it's got tons of fun cracking little moments you know like the, their joy at eating all the food in asgard and how tasty and amazing it is and yeah yeah you know even the little details of oh god what's the name of the character you know the one who's the the frost giant who's like oh yes hanging um, off the back of the bus because she's too big to fit in the Gus. bus yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's just full of great moments, great characters. And I th I think there's something to you saying, possibly the most consistent Marvel title. I'd possibly argue Daredevil's up there, but in a very different way. Yeah. Whereas as an all ages title, like if you have a younger reader, for example, this is a perfect book uh, to introduce to them. And it, it is going from strength to strength. So, yeah, issue 10, Strange Academy, thoroughly, thoroughly brilliant. So, why don't you tell us a couple of your favorite Marvel ones from this week that I'm not on and tell me why I should be on them? Well, I mean, it's not it's not fair for me to tell you why you should be on a Mortal <laughs> Hulk. Um, it, you know, I know why you're not on it uh, or why you haven't read it. Uh, I know yeah. you will. Uh, that's your intention. But we've hit number 46, so uh, we, we have four more issues to, uh, to until the end. And it starts to come full circle and what starts in a brutal fight with the UFOs who think they have the Hulk on the ropes. Uh, and, and it turns out they don't at all. And, you know, and then it ends in what is looking like the same with the Avengers. And I say full circle, because if you remember all of this kicked off with a Hulk versus Avengers fight about four years ago, um, in our time, Joe Bennett is doing fantastic work. Um, just that, that, john carpenter uh, you know body horror sort of stuff he's just not he's not pulling any punches he's not pulling any punches and you know one of the uh one of the the, the ufos um members the ufos are like a they were like fantastic four villains you know four scientists who went into space and deliberately got exposed themselves to the same uh, cosmic rays. I can't, Ironclad is the name of the, the the thing analog, and he's just a big metal giant about the same size of the Hulk. But as 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 Hulk resurfaces, um, you, he's fighting Ironclad, and you sort of wonder Ironclad's body, you know, and, and Hulk wonders the same. You know, he's like, so makes me curious: Are you metal all the way through, or is it just squishy organs and a smooth, shiny shell? Let's find out. 
you know, and he's just manipulating and, and, and stretching and bending and denting his body, and you sort of think, oh my god, you know, and then one of the characters uh, who is the, I guess, the Sue analogue, uh, she can turn into gas and any kind of gas, and she goes to, to try and burn off the Hulk's face by turning into sulfuric, uh, sulfuric gas, you know, sulfur oxide, uh, sulfur acid gas, and Hulk just takes this breath and just breathes her in breathes in this acidic gas <laughs> and you're just like oh they've totally underestimated the Hulk here and then you know spits it back out into the into the face of one of the other characters it's just it's brutal uh, and there's a, there's a great interlude scene in a bar in a New York bar um, and it really you know this this whole concept of of, of Bruce Banner having um you know, suffering from uh, what's the term? Uh, the term that we dissociative identity disorder. You know, multiple multiple personality disorder. Um, it's just inspired. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable in the the system that he has in his head to to deal with the personalities, and then whenever that's expressed through someone whose body is mutated by gamma into being the most powerful the strongest one there is, you know, that's, 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 that's so good. It's so good. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it finish, but I'm not looking forward to it finishing. Just gives you an excuse to reread it from the start when it does finish. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, I mean, and some of the, some of the characterization of the Avengers seemed a wee bit strange at the end, but whenever you look at it in light of the, of the story arc from the start of the series where they first, where the, the Hulk first beat the crap out of them, Mm-hmm. Um, you can understand why some of them are acting the way they're they're acting, but from uh, Immortal Hulk to um, I guess you could call it Prelude to the Hellfire Gala, which we we spoke about earlier, and that's Jerry Duggan's Marauders number twenty, um, and and that's exactly what it is. It's taking place the the night before the Hellfire Gala, and uh, Marauders has been very uh, I guess it's it's nearly uh, Jerry Duggan. Say so Jerry Duggan is the is the architect of Hellfire Gala, and this is his book. Um, so we really see a nice a nice character piece and a and a moment to pause against the action stories that Marauders have 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 been through, and and all the the political machinations, you know, with Emma Frost being the White Queen and and setting up uh, Kate Pride as the Red, you know, as the as, as the Red King, um, and all of that sort of stuff. You know, within the Hellfire Club and drawn and all those those old Hellfire Club uh, things, and th- they take a moment just to just to pause. And Storm is leaving the Marauders, uh, leaving the ship, and they're having a final dinner. And it's a nice one shot story. It focuses on the many exploits of Storm and how her teammates and the Marauders see her as a warrior, as a leader, as a fighter, as. Uh, you know all of these things, and and as each of them share their storm story, we see we see each of those stories in in vignettes. Um, you know we see her, uh, you know nearly like the mother figure to to Kate Pride whenever she was Shadowcat, and they've clearly coming out the back of a battle, and Storm just Storm Kate, Kate Kitty's broken her nose, and Storm's just like. It just cracks her nose back into place. Meanwhile, night, night crawlers in the background almost throwing up at the noise. You know, it's uh, it's it's so good. And then we see uh, a more recent story of uh, 
of Iceman and and Storm on Madripoor after they were separated from the team earlier on and taken on you know the hate monger uh, who's a, a Nazi and, and Storm just finishes him off like just pops his knee out and throws him in a bin. So and then all through this, there's a bet going on as to how many knives Storm carries on her person at any one time. <laughs> so it's uh, it's really good and it leads nicely into the into the Hellfire saga, you know, and into the Hellfire Gala, sorry. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 great stuff and there's some there's some foreshadowing with uh, with Sebastian Shaw. Very very much enjoyed that issue. Maybe my favorite issue of Marauders so far, and really really has me psyched for the Hellfire Gala. Excellent, and then we also had a new event kicking off this week as well. It's, I think this is the first cross uh, title Marvel uh, Star Wars event, if I'm not mistaken. So we kicked off this week with Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha. This is the essentially the prelude to a five issue mini series, which is War of the Bounty Hunters. But it is also going to encapsulate Star Wars, Star Wars Darth Vader, Doctor Afra. I think there's a Jabba the Hutt one shot as well. So uh, I know you've read this. What were your thoughts? Yeah, Charles Sewell on writing and Steve McNiven on pencils. I mean, how can you... That's not a bad team. Yeah, say no to that. So this is set uh, directly between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it it follows Boba Fett after he has acquired Han Solo, Frozen, and Carbonite. So So our starting crawl, Boba Fett, the galaxy's most dangerous bounty hunter, claims the bounty of notorious smuggler and rebel officer Han Solo. Jabba the Hutt eagerly awaits Fett's delivery of Solo's carbonite frozen body to Tatooine, uh, where the crime lord will exact his final revenge. Han Solo's debt is thus paid, but Boba is in desperate need for a payday himself. So, um, it just it, it's it's just a great. I mean, if this if you only have a if you're only a fair weather Star Wars fan, and I would say I'm not a a, a deep cut Star Wars guy by any means i've read some of the novels years ago yeah i've watched all the movies but my heart lies with the classic trilogy i really enjoyed the mandalorian and i dip in and out but i've been reading these comics since the start this is a great jumping on point i would say for any of the comics because everything's about 12 issues in now they're thereabouts um if you only saw star wars and only watched the mandalorian and enjoyed it this is for you this is great i mean it's and everybody knows Solo was frozen in carbonite and and had to was taken to Tatooine by Boba Fett, but we never we never find out what happened in between or that anything happens in between. So this is what happened, and uh, I think this is going to be the it, it was a massive a massive uh, opening salvo on I would say what's going to be the summer mega event for Marvel, uh, and it's interesting that that's in the Star Wars galaxy. It's a great story. It's in great gauge and art. It's it's the first shot. It's the it's the zero issue. It's the the alpha issue that just has me counting down to the next chapter. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. And and the, the gist of it is that uh, in the delivery, and as 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 Boba Fett is flying across the galaxy towards Tatooine, he realizes that the the carbonite unit that Solo was frozen in is malfunctioning, and he's starting to defrost. But uh, you know what happens if that malfunctions is he doesn't defrost solo will turn to goo and he therefore jabba won't be able to deliver him deliver him to 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 jabba and her bobba won't be able to deliver him to jabba and so he has to stop off to try and get it fixed he stops off to try and get it fixed doesn't have any money 
and everybody, you know, the doctor's not willing to, to do it for free. So in effect, he has to do a favor for the doctor and doing that favor involves him uh, in um, in a, uh, a championship uh, fight uh, to the death or, or, you know, for money to try and, try and earn that money. So it's great stuff. It's just, it's action packed. There's a nice story. And so begins the war of the bounty hunters. And I'm in the same way as I was psyched for Hellfire Gala after Marauders, I am psyched for this after after this elf issue. So highly recommend it. Uh, to even if you you haven't been on the Star Wars books, even if you're only, as I say, a fair weather Star Wars fan, as I know you are, Alan, um, I would highly recommend this. Uh, great stuff. Blast of an issue. Well, it might even be just worth jumping on to just for that sweet, sweet McNiven art, uh, to be honest, anyway. So, and Charles Soule, of course, has been, you know, pretty much the spearhead of the Star Wars Marvel yes. Universe for years yes. now. So it's a very, very safe pair of hands. So I'll probably jump on that one and give it a go. We we do have the issue here. So, uh, And I think the way it's structured, you probably don't have to pick up. It seems to be the core story. And then there's going to be threads running through Star Wars, Star Wars Darth Vader, uh, Bounty Hunters, and Doctor Aphra. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you have to pick up them all. So I'll be picking up the main series. I'm already on Star Wars and Darth Vader, so I'll be sticking to those. I don't know if I'll bother picking up the the. Um, uh, it's uh, Doctor Aphra, and then you've got Jabba the Hutt one shot, and then yeah, you're on Star Wars and Vader already. So you're you're pretty well covered in it anyway. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think they're 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 going to be separate four or five issue stories that that tangentially relate to the War of the Bounty Hunters or the impact of War of the Bounty Hunters. So, so I think you'd be all right, um, not not picking up the glut of everything. But there's a nice uh, checklist there in the back. Um, but this is yeah, this is the opening shot and uh, and was yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, well, speaking trying of to, trying to come up with a with a joke about hand shooting first, but. A, couldn't, couldn't find it <laughs> it'll come to you at some point uh keep listening on i'm sure keith will jump in with a hand shot first uh comment at some point <laughs> see if you can find where it is but yeah the last one certainly marvel wise is uh you know you're speaking about summer events and so forth so marvel kicked off their heroes reborn this week now this is actually going to be a weekly event uh seven issues i believe and uh, a variant, a, a various smattering of one shots that will jump in as well. You know, just to give you an idea. Issue two's out this week. There's a Peter Parker, the amazing Shutterbug one shot, and there's Hyperion is another one shot this week. But it kicked off, so it's uh, Jason Aaron on writing duties for this one. I am a little, I am wondering, is it the same artist or is it a multitude of artists per issue? Because I know for the first issue, it is uh, Ed McGuinness, I believe. Uh, but I yeah. think issue two is going to be Dale Keown. So it might be different artists, obviously, for this weekly event. But essentially, this is a is this an alternate universe event? Or is this a, a, a what-if type event? What, what is Heroes Reborn? No, I think this is an alternate universe. No, not no. I think, I think reality has been altered. And if... So Jason Aaron, earlier in his run, featured uh, Phil Coulson. And Phil Coulson was in charge of or or was in charge of the squadron supreme or was using the squadron supreme or whatever but uh but he was doing so in the service of mephisto uh so mephisto's in here uh in this next summer and uh we see here that that phil is now the president is that right phil colson is the president and is looking particularly evil uh in his in his role um 
but uh, so so I think I think we're looking at, at at reality has been altered in an age of apocalypse sort of a way. Um, in a uh, and obviously this is a twenty five year uh, nod towards the original um, Heroes Reborn by uh, by Liefeld and Jim Lee and, and and that sort of side of things that came after Onslaught twenty five years. Jesus, that. Don't, don't keep saying that out loud. <laughs> I know. So yeah, I mean, I and obviously Squadron Supreme Supreme are uh, well known as as Marvel's analogs of DC characters. Um, so so there is that in there as well. But in the same way as Bishop in Edge of Apocalypse was the the outside character, the character who could remember what had screwed up, where how the world used to be. Um, Blade is that is that character here, and and here we have him. Uh, tracing the world going you know hopping across the world to uh to to visit different uh different individuals he he, he visits robbie rez ghostwriter in in east la to find out that he's just a a kid in a bicycle and uh he visits uh you know he finds out that um he finds tracks down thor and thor's a a hard drinking atheist in norway and uh, just wants to be left alone and uh and finally we find out that Maybe the cause of all this is the fact that uh, that Cap was never defrosted, never came out of the ice, um, and maybe that's why there are no no Avengers. But yeah, there's a there's a lot going on here. Jason Aaron throws us straight into the into the depths into the heart of the story with you know in media res with with very little clue about what's going on, but he he dangles just a whole lot of wee elements, uh, and uh, and that I think this is in continuity. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's it's an alternate universe or a, a what if story by any means um, and that, that would hold true with Heroes Reborn the original um, so yeah and it, geez, I love I love Ed McGuinness's art I always love Ed McGuinness's art um, very detailed throughout um, great style great action um, and yeah, I'm just I'm really with that team. It's hard to go wrong. I, I I'd be disappointed to hear that Ed McGuinness isn't staying on the on the core storyline. And if that's the case, and yeah, there are a few bits and pieces that I'm picking up. The ones that I'm interested in: Peter Parker, the Amazing Shutterbug, mm-hmm. uh, who Spider-Man is in this world, and that's by Mark Bernardin actually. Yep. Uh, of the of the Kevin Smith um, uh, Batman Beyond podcast. Uh, so there's a few that I'm interested in that I'll that I'll pick up as I go on, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I know the the uh, the DC uh, sort of uh, copies were just a wee bit much for you, were they? Yeah, I mean there 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 is good stuff in it. I mean I love seeing Blade as the center point for a start. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Uh, I enjoyed some of the nods to it. I enjoyed Thor's characterization in it. The art was great the whole way through. And in fairness, it does have a really cool last page as well, uh, as Blade makes a, an awful long journey to try and rediscover a a classic Marvel character. So yes. there's good stuff to it. But yeah, I mean, looking ahead art-wise, I was just looking. So here's your board number two is going to be Dale Keung. Uh, then issue three is going to be Ed McGuinness coming back. Issue four is going to be James Stokoe. Uh, that's quite a change in art, although I do love James Stokoe's art. Mm. Issue 5 looks to be Ed McGuinness and R.M. Guerrera. Uh, issue 6 is Erica D'Urso, who I'm not overly familiar with, mm. uh, collaborating with Ed McGuinness. And then issue 7 is going to be Aaron Cooter and Ed McGuinness. So it seems like Ed McGuinness will have a, 
an influence throughout it all, but I just don't know if he can handle all the art well, kind of thing. I mean, the the format or how the story's told could make a big, big difference here. You know, mm-hmm. if if it's Ed McGuinness on the on the, the core story, but maybe we're seeing flashbacks mm-hmm. or flash sideways that those other artists are handling that that could make the big difference. But if it's if it's different artists on the core story, yeah, that could be that could be jarring. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully they've they've worked their way around it. It's it's always the danger with weekly releases, but Marvel obviously proved it brilliantly before when they did House and Pars and House had one artist, Pars had another artist. So uh, you don't want it to be too jarring because then when you get to the graphic novel collection as well, it, it's very jarring reading through that kind of stuff again. But no, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm definitely going to stick with it anyway. I, I did enjoy the first issue. I didn't love it, but I did enjoy it, and I'll I'll definitely keep with it. I enjoyed some of the mashup villains. Uh, we have uh, Doctor Juggernaut, who is uh, Doctor Doom, but he's got the uh, the crimson attacking uh, yeah, the, attacking the White House. Yeah, yeah we have uh, who else? We had uh, the Black Skull, who is the Red Skull with the Venom symbiote. Uh, I think, uh, and we have uh, we have Thanos, but oh no, we have the Unstoppable Allgog, Gog, but he is the Allfather uh, Destroyer of Asgard. Uh, the Silver Witch, who is the Scarlet Witch, but whose chaos magic absorbed her brother's powers. So uh, we've got that sort of stuff going on. And uh, Thanos and his Infinity Rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's some good, there's some really cool stuff. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, and a wee, a nice wee, nice wee end there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I, I did enjoy it. It, it, it looks like it's going to be all action. Uh, and I'm I'm good with that. Uh, the only frustrating thing is that Jason Aaron's Avengers, that last issue was probably my favorite issue of Avengers of the run. Mm-hmm. And now we're now we're on pause while Heroes Reborn comes out. Just so, as they uh, had you. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so yeah, so that's uh, Heroes Reborn, and that finishes off the honorable mentions them for Marvel. Yeah, so we kick off into indie, and this was a really really strong week for indie stuff. You know. Obviously, I had 14 titles, Keith had 9. There's a lot of series we were on, but it was a real mishmash of stuff because we had series that were returning after a bit of a hiatus. We had series that were finishing off story arcs. We had stories that were in the middle of story arcs. So it was it was a real mishmash of stuff, but the quality was so high. The first one for me, this was so close to being my pick of the week. Uh, it's my favorite issue of Noctera so far. And I already picked Noctera as a, a previous issue of the week, so I don't want to just repeat myself. But this issue was fantastic. This, I love it when Snyder goes is able to meld his horror sensibilities into his world building sensibilities. No, you know, Noctera kicked off with what's really good with Noctera so far is they always spend a little bit of each issue going into how this whole thing came about, and you get to see you know Val when she's younger with her brother. And this scene at the start where they've locked their parents in the basement and they're sort of, you know, talking out to them saying, let us out, kids, we're okay. Like that page where the door opens and there's just these four oh, eyes looking chilling. up at you. Oh, it just really chilling. gives you the chills. Uh, and I love, you know, the the first page is that, you know, they're, they're, the kids, uh, Val and Emery, are watching the news as, as you know, the, as a doctor is revealing you know the, about the shade infection and what we know about it and when it's gone too far and that of course echoes into the into the continuing story uh yeah I, this is so well put together it's so well put together it's 
it's like Mad Max, like Fallout, um, like Pitch Black. You know, there's a whole lot of influences here, and it just, it just, it's like, it's like Val's truck. It just keeps moving forward. Yeah. You know, it it just keeps pushing away, and you see by the end of this issue, so much has changed in the status quo that they set up in the first issue. This is only issue three. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long that they, they, you know, Snyder and Daniel can can keep moving at this pace and changing things, but I'm I'm absolutely invested in this world. It's not going the way I thought it was going. I'm really interested in, in Blacktop Bill, um, and and who that character is. I wasn't expecting a a character death quite so soon, and. I wasn't expecting the other thing that happened to happen quite so soon. So it's just, it's just pushing away here. And Tony Daniels' art is beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous um, book. And, and yeah. as I said, it definitely balances that horror with great character work. You know, you believe the relationships in this. You believe in Val trying to save her brother and how she'll, you know, go to the ends of the earth to do so, put herself in danger. But then in the middle of it, you just have this kick-ass sort of, uh, you know car chase as well you know with some really yeah. clever moments and just it, as you say it's it goes back to it again and you know i talk about it all the time you talk about it all the time efficiency of storytelling so yeah. much is packed into like 24 pages here and you're just you you want the next issue like right now uh but yeah very it, close very close to pick of the week there's some great you know for all the pushing forward there's some great uh character moments as well uh 100 yeah. yeah so it's 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 absolutely kicked into kicked into high gear here. It didn't, you know, they've laid they've laid some of the foundations, continue to build the world, but but they've laid enough of the foundations that they're able to just push ahead here. I don't know how long this is gonna. Do we know how long this is gonna last? I'm genuinely not sure because obviously I had, I had backed the Kickstarter before, and from what I understand, those are starting to come out into the wild. Hopefully, I'll I'll see my copy soon. I don't know if this is just a six six issue and then you know maybe do more volumes that kind of thing. But, I mean, even going back to the horror aspect of it as well, you were saying about a character death. The character doesn't actually die in this because Bill basically says, like, I'm not going to kill either of you. I'm going to keep you harpooned here until you shade out. Then I'm going to watch you kill them. You know, it's such a sadistic, dark character. And and then the next page is just pure black, uh, you know, with some some dialogue on it. But, yeah, very, very good. I mean, there's, there's definitely a through line, I think, uh, Tony Daniels art and Jorge Jimenez's art on Batman. Yeah, um, well, you know it's you know what that through line is, don't you? Tomo More, the colorist, <laughs> is the same on both books. You know, I, I you know, we even talked back uh, months ago when we talked to Clay and Clay Man. He talked about how he fought for Tomo More to be the colorist on Batcat mm. and said he didn't want anybody else because he was the best. Well, you're seeing it more and more now because he's consistently given all the other colorists a run for their money in terms of uh, output. And quality output at that. So yeah, Nocturne number three again, just absolutely fantastic issue, and again very close to pick of the week. Uh, also this week we had Far Par number eleven. It wouldn't be a weekly podcast without a chat about Far Par. Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney's excellent kung fu epic. That this is probably the most action packed issue thus far. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> that's a, that's a hard thing to say. Whenever two issues ago, it started with them falling out of a plane. Yeah, they but keep <laughs> they keep finding ways to you know outdo themselves every time. Um, I find last issue, it really, I mean, and the, the, this is another book that the the status quo that was set up early on has now changed. As 
as Owen is now welcomed into the Scorched Earth clans inner circle and understands that the, the Temple of the Flaming Fist, now led by Chow Feng, uh, and are we keeping up with all of these names um, <laughs> as well, uh, is and what he learned, you know, he, he originally entered the Temple of the Flaming Fist in the in the prelude and through his his uh, his sensei, Wei Lun, um, our guest, Chinese Sifu, uh, Wei Lun. Um, so, but we know the Temple of the Flaming Fist were there to apparently imprison the dragon, but in actual fact, we learned that the Temple of the Flaming Fist is protecting the dragon and that the dragon needs to die and that the Scorched Earth clan, which included uh, Owen's parents, uh, are trying to trying to, to end that dragon because that dragon remaining alive apparently is putting the world at risk, but I'm not sure what I believe yet. <laughs> you know, just, A lot just of contrasting sure stories. A lot yeah. of contrasting stories. But ah. totally, totally action packed as as the the scorched earth clan make their make their attack their airship attack on the temple of the flaming fist and we have uh, nearly um, you know we have these flying machines these winged suits uh, that are almost like um, uh, da Vinci like mm-hmm. in their in their construction and uh, and we have have Owen and Ma Guang uh, fighting side by side again Ma Guang has was who. Who grew up and trained alongside Owen, but was his enemy, and he's now joined the Scorched Earth Clan as well. Uh, some great stuff going on here, and uh, just some fantastic the mar- the martial arts and the way the way that that Chris Samney delivers it is is so class. One of my favorite things um, in it was the fight between uh, Chow Feng. Waylon and what, what what do you call what do you call the the head of the Scorched Earth Clan? Uh, can't can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, they're they're fighting Chow Feng and uh, at one stage they kick his they kick his head into a wall and the the sound effect the crumb sound effect is in the it's in the bricks of the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if you, if you noticed yeah, that. Yeah, just last couple um, of pages, but. But that was that, that was just class, and uh, I think uh, Ma Guang, you know, making his run up onto the the top of the temple and trying to convert the brothers and sisters of the of the temple, the Flaming Fist, because he's uh, trained alongside them. And that there was initially, I was a wee bit confused because uh, Ma Guang and Owen look quite similar; they're depicted quite similarly. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I was confused. I initially thought that was Owen making the making the speech but it wasn't but yeah it's it's just it's just great and uh, and uh, of course the the shock whenever uh Ling Zan who Owen believes to be dead and that's the reason that he left the temple is revealed to be alive uh, to him we already knew but but yeah and uh, and we're finally maybe going to learn the mystery of Master Shaw uh, yeah, great stuff. I love the the two the back and forth between uh, Chris Samney and Robert Kirkman and the in the RC Coda. At the yeah, end. they're always great. Uh, always great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm so excited to to get to the double sized uh, issue twelve uh, of this. Really looking forward to that. It was a, It felt like a quick. It felt like a quick read because it kept pushing forward. Yeah. You know, it just at at the 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 pace just matched the pace of the fight and it was it was great i love this book and my brother is not a huge comic guy 
currently. He just he reads bits and pieces, and, yeah. and you know he's he's not against the medium by any means. But I threw him I threw him uh, the first couple of issues of Firepower just to and, and of Stillwater and of Department of Truth just so we could read some yeah modern see, what, stuff, see what's out there know? yeah you know and he was just like Firepower only two issues what <laughs> so, that's all you gave me so he's did you throw in the Absolutely. prelude graphic novel? And the prelude graphic novel. So he's looking for the rest whenever I'm at home this weekend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is great stuff. Can this just see him greeting you, being like, "Oh, it's so good to see you, brother." You brought those issues, right? Yeah. Where's my gear? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was so fast paced because it was so cinematic. That's the thing. I mean, it was the. I mean, my favorite moment of the whole issue was that reveal of Ling San and just the. You can almost see the camera work because it it's in close in the two of them and then the next panel it's come out and then the next panel it's come out a little further and Owen just looks totally defeated like all this stuff going on around him all this chaos all this fighting and he's just slumped with his arms just by his legs like Ling San you know he, yeah, he is, his whole world has been rocked um this great love that he had that he was convinced had died and then that's going to create a whole new dynamic with Owen and his family and his kids and his wife and this is just a fantastic book i mean it's i don't know why we're consistently surprised by how good it is you know kirkman yeah, is an absolute master and 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 uh and chris samney's brilliant in this and i love the i sort of find myself looking at the the martial arts the the moves they're doing over again and over and over again and i'm sure they're they're not deliberate choices of of kicks and punches and techniques but there's one scene where chen zul chen zul is the so is the the head of the scorched earth clan uh, on the same page where they slam uh, Chow Feng's head into the wall, Chen mm-hmm. Zhou's doing this. Uh, the, the 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 panel structure is divided by these zigzag lines, and that really speeds things along. But Chen Zhou near the bottom does this. It's like a a reverse a reverse roundhouse kick. Uh, so in karate we call it an Uramawashigeri, uh, is the name of the technique where his legs bent at the end, and it just you see the kicks swinging around and then his foot's a blur and it just looks and then you see you see chow feng slamming at the wall it's a horrible kick i hate trying to do it i don't see the use in it can't generate any power with it but clearly uh chen zul has no problem uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's really it's really good stuff yeah really great and stuff. best of all once we hit issue 12 that's going to be an oversized issue for the end of the arc so bring that on as well so yes yeah, and we're seeing we're seeing owen in his costume for the first time as well yeah uh you know so great stuff so there is our uh, customary chat about firepower and every single issue ever since issue one <laughs> such a good book such a good book um another really good book this week i thought and again this was quite close to pick of the week territory this was a brand new number one from boom studios believe it or not this actually outsold issue one of the first print of something is killing the children which you know is an absolute mega hit by any metric you you measure and has been a, a favorite of this podcast and, and our store since the beginning but this was a new one from boom called eve uh this is written by victor laval and the artist on this is joe mill giang and Brittany pierre on colors and i'm a sucker for a good post-apocalyptic story so with this one uh the main character of course is eve you know as far as she knows she grew up with her father on an island you know learning science useful things while he worked as a researcher of some sort and then she wakes up and emerges from a suspended animation pod and discovers all of those memories were implanted to help her get through what's next you know she wakes up and facing her is this you know it almost looks like a robotic teddy bear that is going to be her guide but you know it took the form of something she would recognize 
you know, in terms of this first issue is very much all about world building. You know, obviously some post-apocalyptic event has happened. Um, you know, there's there's been the fall of civilization, and Eve is clearly going to be one of those uh, one of those characters we follow. I mean, that last page where she is able to climb out of the um, the building that she was being kept in, or that she was you know saved in, I suppose. You know, that last page showing off New York and so forth, just really really great moment really good character work through this as well i thought uh really nice expressive art yeah really really solid book i was i was very close to you know pick of the week uh pick of the week material i think yeah i mean this is to me this is um this is very aware environmental storytelling um it's you know it's about a it's about a very a very serious thing um in a, in a way you know it's about it's something that i i consider mm-hmm. it's something that i consider whether or not you know i want to bring children into the world because of what they're going to face as a result of the choices us and generations before us have made uh, and i say that as as someone whose first degree is in ecology um so i mean this is something very close to my to my heart but it's not that that's what I felt reading it, you know, and I, I think they've they've turned it in the head. So what they've done is they you know, rather than a father worrying about the future that he's left behind for his, his daughter, he has projected his daughter into that future. And 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 or, or not not the key not that's certainly how she feels anyway. That's I mean, obviously, as you said, those memories are implanted, the memories of the father, uh, and and so forth. So so what Eve's mission here is, you know, I don't know, but it's definitely there's definitely an environmental tint to it, and yet, you, that's that's obvious. But if it's not obvious, it, you learn it in the in the after matter where Victor Lavelle points out that his wife is a climate writer, uh, and that this is this is a, a story that that he wants to tell. He wants to tell a story about about uh, the climate crisis and the kids who'd suffer most because of it. But he's doing that through the story of. Of not a not a, a a post-apocalyptic super warrior, but an eleven-year-old smart, funny, overwhelmed kid, um, and that's I think that's why it's going to be really enjoyable because this you know the Eve is is very likable. The teddy bear's a wee bit weird, potentially, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, um, but yeah, it's you uh, some it's deep-seated really... childhood trauma we need to know about regarding teddy bears. No, not at all. I love me I love me some teddies, <laughs> um, but. But it's just because he's a robot and he's not, he's, you know, it's kind of weird a wee bit, just a wee bit. And then he, you know, whenever he needs to carry her, he grows legs, you know, and, and they're robot legs rather than teddy bear legs. I think, I think that's what weirded me out a wee bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, I'm really excited to see where this is going. The the, the art is lovely. Uh, yeah. The art is very, very nice. The artist was on, on Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal, I think. But... You know the colorist is the colorist is, is Brittany Peer, and all of the background colors are green, all greens in the in the lab on the island. Everything's you know the the, the lights, everything's green, uh, which suits the nature of the story. Uh, so a really really fantastic visual visual flair there, I think. Uh, but I yeah this this is I'm hooked. This is potentially a very stark vision of a, a possible near future, but. I think this is going to be a, a lovely character piece. I think by the end of this, potentially we could be as love in love with Eve as we are with 
with Canto or with Wind or with Bone, um, potentially. Um, yeah, great one, great one. Yeah, just continuing on the great work that Boom have been doing for for a good few years now. Um, another great Boom title is one that uh, Keith has been banging on about for months, and usually when he bangs on about something, there's a reason for it, and. I was late to the party with this one simply because getting the issue one proved tricky and then I finally got sent copies from Diamond. I'd already com- um, collected two, three and four in, in anticipation and the last issue of the first arc was this week. We are of course talking about The Last Witch which is created by Connor McCreary, also written by and illustrated by VV Glass. I don't know really how much we should talk about this an awful lot. This, this has the feeling of a book club type... Uh, type series i handed this to vicky as soon as i finished all five issues and i just looked at her and said you like canto you're gonna love this um, <laughs> the, and then the the message appeared on the, the message appeared on the chat keith was right which i'm always glad to see you know you it's, it's never a bad <laughs> thing to be told that but you know yeah i mean i i can see us doing a real deep dive on this because it is a really special all ages title i think you know it works in parts of Celtic mythology it has great character work it ha- it's a great coming of age story it's a great you know reliance on family story it's about you know legacy of of uh, of your family as well there's magic in here there's brilliant world building there's fantastic art and a hell of a there's cliffhanger a darkness. yeah a darkness as well and there's you know over just over a few issues we've watched Sersha. Uh, who is the the, the heroine of the, the the you know the protagonist of the story? She started off like a scared kid, and she's grown up over five issues, you know, and a and a a young a young adult with the weight of the world on her. You know, she's a witch. There's a legacy there. Uh, she's a protector. Uh, there's something really dark on the horizon. Uh, you know. And it's very much set in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, set, set in, in post-famine Ireland, uh, or post one of the famines anyway. Uh, I feel like, yeah, it's more, it's, it's, it's you know, a few hundred years ago. Um, fairly recent because, you know, how much our society has changed in that very short time. Um, but yeah, it's, it, and it draws upon that magic. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah I, don't wanna, I don't want to say too much about it because... As you say, I think we will get a little deeper into it, but this this was great. This is five issues. This was great. Um, it looks great. VV Glass on art is just the 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 art is you could see it animated. You could yeah. see this as a cartoon. Uh, it's not. It's got a bone flavor to me. It does. Yeah, it does. It's not. It's not Disney. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not. A, there's a there's a darkness about it. There's a a moral to the story about power corrupting, I think, uh, is there. And, and yeah, very, very, very good. <laughs> very good indeed. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that's maybe all we should. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this. Yeah. We'll I, talk more about this, but. I definitely think so. But yeah, I'm yeah, just. That, is... I, I, it, it's interesting as well that we both read it and we read it in different ways. Obviously, we're reading it month to month and, you know, talking about its virtues. And I think, I think issue one might have even been your pick of the week when it came out. It was, it was. And, you know, it, it, it is always that eternal question in comics. Should you read everything all at once, like graphic novel style, or should you read it and then speculate, that kind of thing? And by the, by the sound of it, this works both ways, you know, perfectly, because mm-hmm. I, I was mm-hmm. thoroughly engaged. 
you know, as soon as I finished one issue, I was on to the next. It wasn't like I read one and two and then, you know, went and made some food or something. I literally read five of them back to back and it's just so engaging and the world building is fantastic in it. And Yeah, yeah. it is. It is. And, you know, the it's five issues. Uh, you know, it's it's fantastic conclusion to the arc. Uh, it's a little open-ended. A little? Uh, a little open-ended. A little? I almost screamed at that last page. <laughs> what? Uh, but, uh, you know, here's hoping, fingers crossed. Um for sure uh, on, on what comes what comes next but this will make a great a great trade paperback yeah. in fact uh brona who brona not the not this not the water witch but brona my girlfriend uh is she's she's she wants to put in a, an order for the for the trade paperback from you uh, and she's never bought a comic in her life <laughs> i mean the the compliments don't come any higher than that especially when it actually outed the real meaning of that name as well despite what bro's been telling people for all these years what it actually means so so uh yeah great great stuff um in the in the vein of of wind and bone and uh, i mean you don't say bone lightly and and candle no. uh i would say there but yeah great great stuff great yeah. stuff so yes, yeah, so that's the last witch number five. So that's the the end of the arc, and hopefully there's more to come. Uh, one title that did make its return this week, just as our last honourable mention for indie, uh, and it is returning for its final arc was Die, is back. So Kieran Gillen on writing duty, Stephanie Hans on art. Uh, so Die is a, is again another favourite of the pod. We've been talking about it actually for years now, which is interesting as well. You know. <laughs> You know, the crux of Die was always, you know, in 1991, a group of friends played a role-playing game set in the world of Die. Uh, but the thing about it was they played this game. They then disappeared for a couple of years. Two years later, they re-emerged, but one of them was missing. But they never told the world the story of what actually happened. Then a bloody Die turned up, and they had to go back into this world as well. So Die is an interesting one because we've talked and talked about how much we love it. And, you know, it's deep storytelling. It's layered storytelling. But this is not a series you can jump in single issue wise. We talk a lot about starting points and about jumping on the titles. At this point with Die, you're either reading it in trades or you've been on it from the start and you're sticking with it. And this was this was a lovely return. The art definitely seemed to have take, took a step up for me as well. I think this is one of the best looking issues of Die so far. My only concern with it is it's so deep and multi-layered that I think there's a part of me thinks that I should really just keep the last four issues keep them all together and, and burn through them in one sitting but you're you're having none of it you need to finish your pull this week to week so you're going to be you're going to be reading it yeah and and more so i mean yes i mean kieran kieran gillen's uh storytelling is always very very clever and you know he's maintained that that quality over 16 issues I, if if there ever was a jumping on point today i would say potentially this could be it you know, I would. You know, there. This is this is entering the final arc, uh, and I'd say you can maybe, if there, if there ever was a jumping on point, and maybe there isn't, maybe this would be it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's dark fantasy. It's been gone for six months, and that's why I say they've they've probably written it so that it could be. You know, those of us who even have been on it since the start have had a six month hiatus. You know what I mean? So, but it, yeah, Kieran Gillen, Stephanie Ham. Uh, yeah, explores the literary roots of, of Dungeons and Dragons, and it it takes a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a, a, a Lovecraftian turn. Uh, this issue, which I'm always glad to see, obviously H.P. Lovecraft, the author behind the Call of Cthulhu and the Cthulhu Mythos, uh, 
um, is also very heavily involved in the roots of Dungeons and Dragons, and in fact, Call of Cthulhu is is one of the most popular role playing games about. Um, so, so yeah, I really I really enjoyed them, you know, going under the sea and the 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 town they're in is a wee bit like I don't know if you've ever um, you've ever read or. or or listen to any of the Cthulhu stories, mm-hmm. but the, the town they enter is very much like Innsmouth, which is a very uh, a story, a town in, in some of the Lovecraft stories, and then they go under the sea and and they find uh, they find a, a statue of Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, under the sea, and they go inside that, and then they they're greeted by a new host, Howard, who is some sort of version of of Lovecraft. So all indications, I mean, is that day is. We know that day is coming in end after twenty issues, and I would say that end is going to be devastating. <laughs> yeah, this is not going to end well for anybody. No. For anybody, um, and uh, it's it's so good. It is very very good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's nice being a gamer and having some of these familiar themes brought up. Um, we're yeah, we're 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 going into the dungeon crawl, which is the core to many many role-playing games in some form or another as the as the characters enter into the world inside the world of day mm-hmm. uh and 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 th- what could be the end of not just this world but also earth uh as the two worlds the two worlds come together so uh yeah great stuff great stuff um i'm looking i'm so looking forward i, I see what you mean i'm looking forward to picking this up and reading it as one whole story as well uh that's going to be pretty phenomenal stuff yeah and if you're listening mr gillen or miss hans if you want to release a lovely hardcover oversized edition as well as picking up all the single issues you will have our money for that as well so if you want to come out of the podcast and let's talk about this with you then we'd be more than happy for that as well we can certainly do that as well <laughs> yeah so that's uh that's pretty much all for the honorable mention so as ever we'll finish off then with our picks of the week so again it was it was such a heavy indie week for us both i don't think it's a major surprise that we've both ended up with indie picks of the week but my goodness they could not be any more different if they tried for me this uh this week my pick of the week is an awa title uh it is a title that sometimes you just need to read a comic that's fun it doesn't take itself too seriously it knows exactly what it is its goal is to be light-hearted and entertaining and a little bit smart arse and a little bit shocking and that's what this was for me this week so my title of the week is marjorie finnegan temporal criminal so this comes from garth ennis uh, of course so well known for the boys for preacher uh for working on hellblazer working on all manner of things and the artist on this is Goran Suzuka who's a Croatian artist now he's worked on everything from you know Why the Last Man to Hellblazer to Ghosted I uh, did another title with Aftershock Comics with Garth Ennis actually called A Walk Through Hell as well and this this is definitely Keith's kind of book art wise this is like some of the cleanest lines you will ever yeah. see in a book but so for me this is a book again it's just prepare it, it is just here to entertain you and no more so you're fo- you're following a character called marjorie who essentially is a, a a time traveler who can go anywhere in the world and she's also a thief and it kicks off in in ancient egypt and it goes to sort of viking lands and it goes to modern day she's a huge david bowie fan our main character 
Uh, she's also drawn as an extremely good-looking character, but as, as Garth Ennis talks about it in the back, it's a character who's good-looking but that makes no effort to be like her. She's going to be a cosplayer's dream, apparently, just because her, uh, her outfit is essentially a, a pair of overalls, you know, uh, and not much <laughs> else. But what I like about this, as I say, it's just pure entertainment. Like, you, when you do time travel stories, and we obviously talk with Declan and, and Rory about this for Time Before Time, there's always this complication when it comes to doing time travel stories. Not in this. She has a, a device called an unfucker, which avoids any anom- anomalies or angry fanboys who, you know, moan and bitch about plot holes and time travel stuff. You know, there, there's no messing about in this book at all. It is just designed to entertain you. It, it's all about poking fun at the seriousness or the, or the lack of logic in time travel stories. You know, there's there's little captions in the story uh, throughout the issue, for example, showing that, you know, the fate that was avoided by Marjorie killing these people instead. So these people were going to die anyway. That's how the time stream works in, in this story. But, yeah, so she's essentially a thief. And then, of course, if you've got a thief who's a time traveler, you, of course, have a cop. You have cops who, you know, marshal time travel as well. So those tend to be our two main characters in this book. But there's a great scene, for example, set during Viking lands where the Vikings are getting ready to attack this small village. And there's this little hut. And like, the, the foreshadowing of this was brilliant. It was just so, so humorous. It's like, crap, they're coming. You hold them off, wife. Offer yourself. What? Offer them the kids, whatever it takes. But at the same time, there's this, this man running away because he's so scared. You've essentially got this little uh, hut that says, yes, it's them, all right. All right, like I showed you. And then this hut falls down. They've got this huge Gatling gun that they're able to basically take down this Viking ship. Like, this led to one of the funniest pieces of art I've seen in a long time, which was... I don't know if this was a piss take of Thor or not, as he's coming up on shore, and he it, it's a blonde hair, long beard, Odin, and then you turn the page, and a huge, uh, a huge bullet just basically separates his body into five parts, and one of them goes, ah, that's just overkill. It's just a fun, fun book. It's very adult. This is very much an 18-rated book. There's a lot of swearing in it. There's a lot of over-sexualized characters. It's it's what it's what is sometimes referred to in comics as a cheesecake book. Now, this is a type of book that our, our good friend Andy is very familiar with. Your Vampirellas, your Red Sonyas, your over-sexualized characters. But in this, it's not done, I think personally, to be like titillating or anything like that. It's done to just be funny and just not take itself seriously at all. I mean, there's another part where the, the time cop in it, for lack of a better word, shoots someone with a, a machine gun and then you just see their body sort of frozen there with all these bullet holes in it as he holds up a hammer before his body disintegrates <laughs> more more bullet hole in body <laughs> it's just so stupid but fun and again i think that's just what you want from a comic sometimes but there's also a little bit of foreshadowing here as well there's someone who's watching marjorie very closely that is revealed to be her ex-husband although again we don't know who that is so there's some clever storytelling being done here as well and also there's a relationship that is uh revealed to be between marjorie and that time cop who is out there marshalling time yeah just thought it was a fun fun book uh what about yourself you you were on this weren't you yeah yeah absolutely it was garth ennis and the uh the title marjorie finnegan temporal criminal had a nice uh rhythm to it um so yeah it was (laughs) it's just (laughs) it's all in the title yeah girl steal stuff hilarity ensues uh you know across time it's uh totally totally nuts uh 
uh, exactly what you said. You know, they use this device just to take the the pain out of out of time travel, so she can do whatever she wants, or they can do whatever they want, uh, as as time is is unfucked by the unfucker. Uh, you know, and and what that does is it replaces the person who was killed in time. So if you accidentally kill Martin Luther King's granddad, you don't have to worry about it because he's replaced in time. Things things go as normal, and the the person that you've killed is given an alternative fate, um, whether that's choking on an olive or being eaten by a crocodile. Um, <laughs> so it's just temporal crime reimagined uh, in a way. Um, good fun. It's going to be eight issues of good fun with an eye to violence and foul language that we all know Garth Ennis from. Great story. Uh, yeah. Good fun. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, sometimes you just want a comic that just flat out entertains you, makes you forget about the outside world for 10 to 15 minutes, gives you a cheap laugh, but it also has endearing characters as well. I mean, Marjorie comes across as a really likable character. Maybe that's just because she has good taste in music as she runs around singing David Bowie. Who knows? But, you know, she clearly doesn't take things too seriously, and this is actually going to be the longest of all the AWA titles so far. There hasn't been one over six issues. I suppose whenever you get Garth Ennis, you kind of go, all right, we'll see if we can pin him down for a few issues. You know? All right, do what you want there, Garth. You know, And, and it's even interesting as well. There's, with AWA titles, there's always a little bit of an interview at the back. And Ennis actually talks about knowing that his name has value and that he therefore likes to go around different publishers. He doesn't just want to, to work for one publisher. So AWA, very much an emerging... Um, very much an emerging comics publisher so it's it's a great get for them as well so yeah again if you just want a title that just doesn't take itself seriously and it's just really good fun then as you could have guessed from the title marjorie finnegan temporal criminal is for you but your pick of the week is very much the opposite end of the spectrum i would say i mean yeah i mean it was also good fun uh, <laughs> but there's there's a lot more going on between the covers uh, for sure, I would say. So I've picked uh, The Good Asian from Image. It is uh, writer-director uh, Pornsack Pichachute's follow-up to Infidel. The art is by uh, Alexandra Tefengi, uh, who was known for Outpost Zero, uh, and stunningly covering art duties with something of a of a European style, maybe, that we're starting to see a wee bit more of in, in the US sort of comics. And uh, Lee Luffridge's colours complementing that completely. And Jeff Powell is listed as the, the writer and designer. And that was interesting. But given some of the layouts and design work in this book, I'm really glad that they have listed him as, as designer because it made it clear who you had to thank for all that. So for the second week in a row, I'm picking a crime book from Image, uh, following on from Friend of the Devil. Uh, by uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips last week. But this is a very different animal uh, in what's described very accurately as Chinese noir. Uh, So our protagonist, Edison Hark, is a self-loathing Chinese-American detective in 1936 San Francisco. Uh, And he is originally from Hawaii, uh, and he's uh, tracking down the former maid and... um, secret lover of his former benefactor, Mason Carraway. Mason is comatose. His his son, Frankie, calls Edison uh, up for potential leads into Ivy's disappearance. And along with a seemingly cold trail, Edison has to deal with the bigoted San Francisco police force who have absolutely no qualms about hiding their, their 
the prejudices. It's all set against the backdrop of um, of the the Johnson Read Act. Uh, of 1924, and that's all explained at the start. In 1882, the Chinese, the U.S. passed the ban on Chinese immigrants, blaming them for for the 1874 depression, uh, eight years earlier. In 1924, the Johnson Reid Act expanded the ban to include Asians and Arabs. By 1936, over half of a century after the original ban, the Chinese was America's first generation to come of age under that immigration ban which, uh, interestingly, was fairly recently reflected by Donald Trump's uh, ban on Muslims entering America, but that's neither neither here nor there. But so that, that sort of, I guess, covers it. The dialogue by uh, Pichet Shuri is, is it, it can be, it's a wee bit jarring with all the, there's, I guess, this passionate callousness and the racism from... You know the the police detective that that Edison Hark is working alongside, and you've got Edison Hark's in action or seeming in action in the face of all of this, which seems to be really disappointing. But we as a reader come to understand that Edison understands the rules of the game as it's played and knows that he could very very quickly go from the trailblazer from from the good Asian to yet another Asian detained and threatened with deportation and, and, and returning home despite the fact some of these people are are Chinese American and you talk about efficiency of storytelling during the course of this story and beautifully scripted style and with incredible efficiency of storytelling we discover why who Edison is and and why he's considered the so-called good Asian he's he's a a Chinese Chinese American man with with that American heritage, but also after the, I guess the death of his mother is raised in a white family, and that's how he comes to, to be the almost son of Mason Carraway, who is his benefactor and the almost brother of of Frankie Carraway, Mason's, Mason's son. So, that's where we get the title from. It's it's like a lot of crime thrillers, which I know you're a massive fan of, Alan. It hits him a lot of the the same sort of uh, story beats, you know, bad cops, good cops, you know, uh, that sort of um, sexy noir sort of detective thing. There's mystery, there's violence, but right at its core, this is a, this is a story about Asian American representation. And, you know, instead of a, a, a drinking problem or, or a marriage issue, such as in Commissioner Gordon, we we've got that 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 sort of typify I guess de- detectives, you know, and overworked detectives. Edison Edison Hark is dealing with a whole different set of issues. He's dealing with identity issues, you know, as a Chinese man, as a Chinese American, as a as a as uh, at a time whenever Chinese people couldn't be in the police force, except in Hawaii, which is where his, he's from, and is is why he is in the police force, is why he's a detective. He's dealing with those issues, and it's clear that, I suppose, in the same way that Bruce Wayne is a is a mask that you know Batman wears, Edison Hark is a mask that our protagonist wears. You know, and that's where the issues of identity are. And because yeah, this mask helps him navigate. The mask of the good Asian helps him navigate, and I say that with an inverted commas, 
you know, helps him navigate this this uh, racially and morally corrupt American justice system that that puts him exactly on the opposite side of the, you know, to his to his people that he has to keep at distance in order to continue to maintain to play the game. Um, and so to, to, to white America, he's a good Asian, but to his own people, he's a bit of a sellout. Um, and it, it just, in that way, it sort of does something a wee bit different with the trope of the detective. Um, and sticking with that trope, you know, the internal monologue is pure noir detective thriller, you know, along the lines of, of Sam Spade and Mike Hammer and all of that. But there's also really depressingly modern uh, elements to the story, which, I mean, it doesn't go unnoticed that this is released against the backdrop of a rise and, you know, a, an increase in present day anti-Asian violence in America and, the, you know, the where that's come from. Um, you know, so it, the, the timing of this is absolutely perfect. The art style... Um, by let me see so alexandra alexandra uh Tefenke is as i said it's a wee bit european and it lends itself well to that you know a story driven comic because you get a lot more panels to a page and a lot less splash pages so you get a wee bit closer to the characters and there's so much detail in every panel you see that first page is an absolute gem you know, it starts off at the start, you know, 1936 stylized in that Art Deco style. And that's where, you know, the design comes in and, you know, it it, it sets the tone of the book. It establishes that dark tone. It establishes the period in which it takes place and the, the hustle and bustle of the location. It's absolutely iconic and striking and energetic. And that energy then moves forth through the rest of the through the rest of the comic. And it captures that, you know, that film noir feel and very very easy just to lose yourself in um and you know the design work as i said is great that first page but also a couple of pages in there's there's an entire page uh the next day you know after the title page after the lovely title page which looks like a like a film noir 1930s movie uh you know credits page there's a there's a page that and the entire page is the next day but in the in the letters you're seeing this detective beat the crap out of this asian guy and it's just i thought that was absolutely phenomenal that you, you see the page i'm, oh, I'm yeah. talking about so. yeah the next day yeah so for me why well, i don't know what, what about yourself alan you read this as well yeah i absolutely adored this this was again very very high to to my pick of the week i'm as you said before i'm an absolute sucker for noir i love historical noir as well you know obviously this being set in 1936 it's interesting because it sort of shows how history is cyclical i mean you're saying how relevant this is to today yet this is set nearly 80 years ago you know you, you wonder how much the the humankind actually learns <laughs> throughout uh, throughout history but uh-huh. yeah i mean it's it's definitely the first book that i've uh, first comic that i've read that actually has a historical consultant who works on it as well called grant din so it's it just gives the book instantly gives it more pathos gives it more more power i suppose because it's based on so much uh, historical fact but yeah, I mean, I, I love nothing better than a conflicted protagonist. You know, he's he's caught between wanting to be a good man in terms of stopping criminals, but also because of his heritage, you know. There's that scene early on where the, the cops are shaking down a, a Chinese family, and he seems to have no scruples straight away by going, 
yep, I was able to see that the the dad was looking at this um, tin over here. There's drugs in that. That's where he keeps it. Yep, that case solved. And the guy runs away. You know, so he he just he, he seems to have no scruples about going against his own kind. But then you you juxtapose that against where he's talking to a young kid about do you think i'm gonna get in mister and he, he lies to him and he's like yeah i don't know easily. you know yeah. so he's yeah he's yeah. a really well, interesting character i would say to go back to that scene at the start where he seems to have no scruples the point of that is that he knew that unless he delivered what needed to be delivered you know unless he delivered the dad mm -hmm. to that corrupt american to cop the whole family was the whole probably going, going in. Yeah, so so he made the he made the cold choice that they weren't able to make themselves. Yeah, uh, you know, so that's what I mean. He knows how to play the game, um, and he's got a real eye for detail as well. I think that eye for details class, the way they yeah, they almost uh, they almost play it as like a superpower, don't they? Because it's you know yeah, it'll bet. have this wee red this little red infrared thing that shows what detail he's focusing on. You know, whether it's a cufflink or it's a stain on a jacket or it's you know yeah, a look yeah. that the that the dad gives that kind of thing. He's a, a real detective in that in that uh, respect. But yeah, the I think it's really it's really interesting what you say as well about it being really European influence because you know the the range of colors the the you know you're certainly getting value in this book. You know there's there's sometimes in comics people look at things like splash pages and worry that it's artists being lazy and just taking a full page to draw one image. I mean. This is the kind of book that would, you know, if you'll excuse my French here, this is the kind of book that would, you know, get Tom Keane very excited with the amount of panels that are in it. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I was going to put that in a more vulgar way, but I decided to pull it back. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a really intricate book and you can tell it's a labor of love as well. And they've, they've got a story to tell and it doesn't matter if they have to do 15 panels on a page and narration the whole way through the book and, you know that's what they're going to do it's just you can see this and being just, the kind of book that see when it comes to like award season and stuff like that this is a book that shows what the comic medium is capable of yeah big style i mean just that that efficiency of storytelling you know where we're seeing panels of uh, a flashback just single flashback panels that are done in a wee bit more of a sepia tone yeah and you know so we learn you know we learn all about you know in that one panel you know you see mason Caraway lying in bed, and then you see a very quick flashback, you know, where you have him standing next to a grave. Uh, the grave has has Chinese characters on it. He's standing there with uh, with Edison, and he's saying, "If anything ever happened, I promised your mother Edison I'd raise you like you were mine." Uh, you know, and suddenly we have a frame of reference with one panel. We have a frame of reference for the relationship between him and Frankie and Carl and and Mason. It's it's unbelievable. It's so so effective, so effective. Um, you know, and then there's there's obviously the the suggestion that maybe you know there's more going on between Mason Carraway and, and and Edison and stuff and, and his mother than than her just being uh, his his, uh, his his maid you know yeah. so there, yeah so it's great great stuff I mean this was just a great mystery story an even greater examination of Chinese American life at that time and yeah as I say that it's it's kind of ironic that. It arrives in the wake of so much anti-Asian sentiment, you know that 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 doesn't go, I guess, on unnoticed. And I think titles like this are are really important, and you know, celebrating the experience of any marginalised culture whilst 
turning the spotlight on maybe the ugly parts of history um, that are related to those marginalized culture or the reason for those cultures being marginalized. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not, not the reason, because the reason is ignorance, but the mechanism by which those cultures were marginalized. And whenever stuff like that, and, and as important as that is told in a title that is as engaging as The Good Asian, in the same way as Eve is, is an environmental book, with an environmental message that's going to be told in an engaging way, I think that's just it's even better. And I, I, I don't know, Alan. I think I don't know what the the uptake of this was like. It's very possible that a lot of people slept on this one. And if so, do do get up off your your acid at it to your pull list because it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's there's there's been a few people have jumped on. I think we threw it out there in the previews pod just because again my my noir leanings. But I think it ha- I think this is one that's caught a few people sleeping in the I think that this will just grow. We do have a few copies left in store, but not many. But again, I you know I always advocate listening to music while reading. Stick on the Chinatown soundtrack while you're reading this. It is just oh. phenomenal. And yeah, it's and I mean, such a cinematic yeah. book as well, you know. Yeah, and I mean that's another character, uh, Gettys, Jack Gettys would you know, would definitely be reflected in that yeah. noir sort of sure no that's cool. a brilliant brilliant book and a, and a fine choice for pick of the week which is the good asian uh so yeah that is us for the 5th of may so as ever we'll finish off just very quickly with the titles we're looking forward to most this next new comic book day which is the 12th of may so for me this week three titles really stood out but uh, to be honest about 15 titles stood out i had to narrow it down to three uh so for me yes Joker number three, because Joker number two was just such a masterpiece for me anyway. Uh, so James Tinney in the fourth on writing duties, Guillaume March on art for that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Justice League Last Ride number one. So this is a new mini series written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Miguel Mendoza. And this was originally going to be a digital first title. But I think that the advance notices on it were so good that DC decided to hold it back and make it print first. So looking forward to that. Covers by Derek Robertson, uh, artist from The Boys as well. And then if I didn't pick it, Keith would have picked it. But, you know, I had to throw it time before time as well. So after chatting with uh, Declan Shelby and Rory McConville and hearing about all their influences and what they're trying to achieve with this title, I'm really looking forward to digging into this. So time before time, number one. Uh, what about yourself? What are your three? Well, as you rightly said, time before time would have been mine if you had not got there first. Um, so, uh, but I mean, it's it's this this week was stacked. Uh, this coming week looks also fairly stacked, though this was a standout week, uh, the week of May fifth. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if it'll be rivaled in a little while for me. Uh, for next week, a coming week, uh, I'm looking forward to Geiger number two by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. I was really intrigued by that first issue, and it looked gorgeous. Um, so, and and the what's 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 been built in that Fallout esque post apocalyptic world looks uh, really interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy number fourteen. I mentioned previously how much I enjoyed that. Uh, sort of, I guess, jumping on point there with Guardians of the Galaxy 13, so under Al, Al Ewing uh, and uh, Juan uh, Frigeri, so really looking forward to Guardians number 14. And uh, lastly, uh, I'm looking forward to the launch of another uh, X title during the reign of X um, by Tini Howard and uh, Alberto Focci, 
and that's X Corp number one. Looks a little uh, looks a little different as we follow um, as we follow Monet Sinqua and uh, M uh, and Warren Worthington Angel uh, as uh, they lead the charge uh, of X Corporation. Um, a bit of uh, ruthless cutthroat boardroom dealing. Uh, going on there so just it sounds really interesting uh, so I'm just really intrigued by by that and what it might bring so uh, getting on getting on at the ground floor with that yeah beautiful cover for Xcore I love that sort of overly stylized really well designed cover uh, although I say that and of course I had to bring the Scotty Young cover home because you know uh, that uh, that those covers are David Adja covers yeah you know, David Aja, he of Hawkeye and many other great things, but yes. yeah, just a great, great artist uh, and very unique looking as well. So cool. So those are the titles we're looking forward to then on Wednesday, the 12th of May. So we will uh, call it a day there. Uh, we managed to eke out two hours of comic goodness uh, for you, even though it was just the two of us. I tell you, once we get talking. <laughs> uh, Good job. Pleasure as good always job. having your company, good sir. I'll look forward to seeing you in store tomorrow, no doubt. And many thanks to everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. Anything appeal to you, just do get in touch. Uh, we'll always see if we can get certain titles in for you or if we have anything in stock, we're always happy to hold bits and pieces over for you. So don't miss out on some of these titles. There, it really was a stellar week for comics this week. So uh, again, many thanks to Keith for the company and the chat. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>